You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to M Squared TechCast, a live internet radio show offering the latest news and interviews with the people driving business, technology, and politics in Michigan. Now, your hosts, Matt Rausch and Mike Brennan. Hey, it's Matt Rausch. And Mike Brennan. And we're back with another fun-filled edition of the M Squared TechCast. And yeah, I'm, actually, we... I'm actually in my office. So, yes, what a surprise! How'd that happen? You know, so uh, well, we're I, I'm I'm putting out the uh, Lawrence Tech Alumni Magazine, the the fall edition, and uh, it's just easier to do it here rather than from home on a virtual private network that can be slow and a little balky, and you know that kind of thing. So, I'm in the office for a few days here. Wow. Okay. Are you all by yourself in the building or are other no, people? No, there's other people here, but I have a door that I can shut and a window that I can open. So, you know, and to, to venture out into the hallway requires a mask. So I feel pretty, I feel pretty secure. Yeah. Okay. Plus, plus only about a third of the staff is here right now. And that helps too. So, yeah. It's, and then last week we took off because I came back from vacation and a uh, couple things. Fred Brown was not, was under the weather. And I came back late in the week, and I didn't get a chance to book the show, so it took a week off. Okay. We're back, yes. yes. And and we have calling in from a distant land, uh, Mele Ostele, who, as a disclaimer, is my digital media partner, my webmaster, uh, and uh, I go to him with advice all the time on technical issues with my computer, which I finally solved this morning, by the way. So I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> good, good, good to know. Yes. So uh, what he wanted to talk about is, uh, is Amazon. They've done kind of well during this pandemic. One of the few companies besides Zoom that has done really well. And so what you wanted to talk about is, uh, is how they've taken advantage of the pandemic and, and why don't you talk? And, and, and you might. Oh, just Absolutely. as a starter, this may be the first time folks have heard of you. So why don't you a quick background on your company? Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, I'm glad to be back on the show. Uh, it's always fun to be with you guys. Uh, we've done a number of them together. Um, my name is Maylee Astale. I'm the CEO of Smart Finds Marketing. We've been in business for 33 years. Um, we're a digital marketing agency out of Birmingham, Michigan. Uh, and of course, you know, when you talk about distance lands, as long as I'm on planet Earth, I think I'm within <laughs> within reasonable distance. <laughs> the geography is irrelevant anymore. I mean, I Nancy, agree. I agree. It's in Southfield. I'm in Ann Arbor. You're in Istanbul. So yeah, I, mean, I agree. Not, you know, so. What's the difference? Uh, but anyway, yeah. right well, thanks for putting that song. song in my head again, by the way. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they might be giants too. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. So, you're not going to sing, though, are you, man? No, no, no. Oh, no. good. Thank you. All right. So. Uh, <laughs> So let me let me give you guys a quick yeah. update here. It's interesting, uh, you know, having been in the digital marketing industry for so long, uh, we're never short of changes and we're never short of frequent changes. Um, and uh, the pandemic, as it started to hit and uh, we ha- we're in lockdown starting mid-March, um, Amazon was very interesting to watch because by the time you got to mid, mid-April, so roughly four weeks later, 
as people are homebound and they need products, they need whatever, everything from, you know, small toys to electronics to food, etc. It was mind boggling um, as to the amount of shipping orders that were taking place. Amazon was number one on that list. And by mid-April, they hired 175,000 people Oof. to support the warehousing operations. Uh, as a matter of fact, just so, just this quick uh, update that you can read this on uh, Amazon's blog. Um, as a matter of fact, they started off with 100,000. They added another 75,000 a few weeks later. It was 175,000 total by the time you get to mid-April. I, I don't have any counts as to where they are today, but uh, the numbers, in my opinion, continue to grow because as the need for warehouse orders increased, they had to, uh, they jumped to, they, you know, they jumped on it. They took the advantage of the situation. Um, their orders were going up and needless to say, here we are, whatever, five months later, and uh, their revenues are up as well. Um, so from that standpoint, Amazon was already taking, I mean, just, let me just give you a quick, interesting background. Amazon was already in the last five years uh, taking a uh, taking a lot of notice in the industry. So one of the notice items was this uh, a year ago, July, uh, for the last five years, Amazon's been running what they call Amazon Prime Day. Now think of Cyber Monday, think of Black, I'm sorry, <laughs> Cyber Friday, think of <laughs> Black Monday. Um, and then if you think about um, Alibaba.com and they have their big one day event, um, Amazon started to take take a, a lot of notice uh, a, in 2019 July when their sales surpassed uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday, mm. um, and all of a sudden you're seeing that Amazon was starting to take a lot of notice. The pandemic, all of a sudden, they went from wherever they were here to here, um, and so from a retailer standpoint, if you're in the B two C space. Uh, Amazon needs to be on your radar screen. Um, and because of the pandemic this year, Amazon has moved their pro Amazon Prime Day to October this year. Um, the latest news was it's going to be the week of October 5th. Um, and what we're not clear about is it's going to be one day, two days, or three days. Um, there's a um, variety of speculations. But to be perfectly honest with you, Amazon, Amazon doesn't announce it either. Prime Day for Amazon is specifically designed for prime members of Amazon. Prime Day is Amazon deciding on its own what it's going to discount and how heavily it's going to discount. Meaning retailers don't have control of this. However, retailers can take advantage of the volume of visitors coming to the Amazon website. So there's a variety of things that you can do in terms of uh, preparing your your store for Amazon uh, Prime Day. And there's a variety of things that you can do to drive traffic to your Amazon retail store. Um, and uh, on that note, needless to say, we jumped on the bandwagon too. And um, on Wednesday, September 9th, we actually have a webinar for businesses around Amazon Prime Day marketing as well as Amazon marketing. Uh, and we'll be covering a variety of topics um, that are focused uh, on how businesses can prepare for this. Okay. How do you suggest businesses prepare for it? What are uh, what are some tips you can offer us now to sort of tease this uh, seminar a little bit? 
Well, the the the, the teaser would be this: you um, take a look at the products that you're selling. And there, as you can imagine, there's three types of sellers on Amazon. Uh, it's not as it's not just your retail store. Uh, you have three different levels of Amazon retailers out there. Um, a lot of retailers will go to Amazon, they'll post their product. And what they usually do, especially if they're selling products from a brand such as Adidas, Nike, or whatever, um, they go to that website and they copy and paste the, the product's name and description right into the Amazon store. And I think that that's an error. That's a mistake. What you really need to do is revise that so that it's marketing related. It's going to grab people's attention. When you're when when Nike posts something about their products on their website, it's not necessarily that somebody's going there to to buy something, or if they are, they already know what they're going to buy, and they're just going to go do it. On Amazon, you need to drive. You need to catch people's attention. It's you plus whatever thousands of other retailers that are selling the same product. So. Be imaginative with your product title, with your description, and also figure out what you're going to do within your store to offer discounts that are outside of Amazon's Prime Day discounts. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you're going to be able to uh, to jump on it. This is one example. There's a variety of other examples that you can take, you can do in terms of Amazon marketing. And then you have your webinar on September 9th, and you're going to be addressing a lot of these things about what yes, retailers, we will be. e-tailers, whatever you want to call them, can do. Yep. Why don't you talk a I little mean, bit about both, that? Go ahead. It's, a little, it, it's going to co- cover two significant topics. One of them is preparing your store in Amazon. However, I will say this. Whatever we present at the webinar is not going to just be for Amazon Prime Day. Um the recommendations we're going to make in terms of uh, setting up your store uh, will benefit you even after Prime Day or before Prime Day, etc. Um, so how do we um, set up our store in such a way uh, that within Amazon, the marketing is working in your direction? So that'll be one of the topics we're going to be covering. Um, and then this other significant topic will be how do you drive traffic to your Amazon store? What are the the tools that you need in terms of uh, social media marketing, social advertising? Um, Let's face it, within Amazon, there's a variety of uh, advertising options uh, to be able to uh, get people to notice you. Um, We're going to be talking about all these different things uh, at the webinar on September 9th. And you might want to give that address. Are you going to post an address or are you going to invite people? How are you going to do it? Yeah, I mean, uh, if you come to our website at smartfindsmarketing.com, we do have a um, a link there to the registration page. It will be on GoToWebinar. Uh, so you do need to register. Uh, it's not going to be on Zoom. Uh, we do have a presentation, a deck prepared for this uh, webinar. And um, uh, best to do this on GoToWebinar instead of th- uh, through Zoom uh, that, that everybody's been using. Okay, sounds good. Um, so, so a, a little bit about how you help your clients interface with Amazon. Um, you know, what's what do you view as some of the keys to successfully sort of harnessing this gigantic beast that is Amazon for a small business? <laughs> yeah, I agree. And you um, only have two minutes to sum that up, by yeah, the way. Right. So, uh, <laughs> just just a, a little well, topic. Yeah. No I'm never, I'm never, yeah. I'm, I'm never short of saying something about digital. <laughs> So the um, we we're a digital marketing company, and we have a team of marketers. 
meaning that we're following a marketing process, which is a cycle. It has activities. It has tasks. They have to be managed. They have to be measured. The measurements need to be interpreted. And then you got to go around and figure out what are you going to do to improve your process. And so from that standpoint, um, I think what we're offering is not just, hey, here are the strategies and here's the tasks that you need to do. Um, we as a digital marketing agency are trying to help businesses take advantage of a more holistic approach. Uh, let's take a look at your website. Let's take a look at your Amazon store. Let's take a look at your social uh, communities, your profiles. Are the, is everything supporting what needs to be done so that you can achieve success? Um, where are your links going to? Are they going to your website store, which may or may not be valuable? Um, in my opinion, if you're trying to prep for Amazon Prime Day, then you need to drive everybody to Amazon, to your Amazon store, not to your website. Uh, you're going to get a better result at Amazon during Prime Day than you will on your website. So variety of uh, strategies that need to be implemented. I think that's where we, you know, as, as a marketing team, that's where we will flourish uh, to help out businesses on this topic. We're going to have to stop you there. Why don't you give your website address one more time, Ellie, and uh, folks sure. can dial in. Sounds good. It's smartfindsmarketing.com. Okay. Okay. Oh, Thanks very much. I'm Ostelay from Smart Finds Marketing in Birmingham and uh, today in Istanbul. Um, we'll be right back with another uh, segment of the N Squared TechCast. For right now, it's Matt Rausch and Mike Brennan. And you're watching at podcastdetroit.com and mitechnews.tv. As a Lawrence Technological University graduate, you're not only marketable, you're worth more. Yes, more. According to payscale.com, when it comes to graduate salaries, LTU is in America's top 100. Be invaluable. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. What do you get at Lawrence Technological University? Everything. Great labs and studios, supportive professors, plus a full campus life, NAIA athletics, and all the software you need to succeed. Be smart. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. Hey, it's Matt Rausch. And Mike Brennan. And we're back with another segment of the M Squared TechCast, MITechnews.tv, with a longtime friend and associate, Gary Erickson. Gary, how you doing today? Good. How you doing, Matt? How you doing, Good, Mike? Thanks. So is it nice and cool down in Clearwater today? Probably only 95 or so, right? Well, I, I, I live in Sarasota, so I don't oh, know about Sarasota. Okay, it's, yeah. it's like 91 or 92 on ah. the water. So it's a little warm and a little humid. Yeah, it's almost... We got the same thing going on here, I think. Yeah. It's just about the same. We have your Florida weather in Michigan today. Uh, it was really, really nice for about a week there, and now the high 80s and low 90s have come back. You know, we we see 90 to 91 almost every day down here. It's sort of boring. And then we get a thunderstorm about three or four every afternoon. Yep. Yeah. I remember that. Good old Florida. So anyway, what we wanted to have Gary talk about, or at least update, is uh, he has his, he's the managing partner for Executive Search Partners. And this is where you can do a shameless plug, Gary. So tell the audience exactly what you do, and then we'll continue on. Oh, we lost Gary there. Oh, he's going to put yeah. on his hat or something. 
I'm sorry. I just uh, I noticed my background sucked, so I oh, had to okay. do something. What on on live TV at the best? Uh, sorry, what, what, Shameless Plug Executive Search Partners is a IT focused search company. We do nationwide uh, searches in information technology, mainly senior level positions, and we've been recognized by Forbes as one of the best in the U.S. Okay. Great. And so I think we had you on a couple of months ago. We were talking, and one of the things you do, of course, is C-level folks, technology C-level folks. And so when I posed the question to you a week or so ago, what has changed? You said not a heck of a lot other than the the competition for jobs is even more fierce than it was before, right? Yeah. Well, I, you saw it, you've seen a lot of layoffs in the Southeast Michigan area, but I I was looking at statistics today uh, down in, in April, the total jobs were down like 24%. Um, and they've come back to about 15%. IT is down about 9%. But the reality is that there are a lot of people who are looking for jobs. And then the other side of the equation is how many jobs are becoming available. There's always jobs out there. It's hard to get a handle on what the percentage is, but my estimate is there's about half the jobs available now that there used to be, and most of those jobs are not in in the uh, automotive arena. Okay. So what arenas are they in then? Yeah, I was going to say, which begs the question, where, yeah. where are the jobs, you know? So. Well, you, there, so there's a whole, there's a whole um, sort of, we've, we've all been hearing about which, which segments are up and which segments are down. And in, if you focus on Michigan only, what I've been seeing by looking at Indeed and, and the job statistics is to finance Banking, insurance, including healthcare, uh, media. Uh, there's some automotive jobs out there. The ones that are most interesting are the ones in the electric car arena. Yeah. Okay. So. Well, that or, makes sense. Certainly. How about how about autonomy? Is there uh, a, still a push toward that? Now, oh, yeah, to me, electric car includes autonomy. autonomy oh, okay. So it's, that's the self-driving part, too. Yeah, yeah, they're actually different. But, I mean, uh, it's just uh, one's the powertrain and one's, uh, well, the, the connected vehicles is, <laughs> is the one that's going to be a whole lot, even more complicated than electric vehicles. I mean, it's really the battery technology that's yeah. holding back <laughs> electric vehicle uh, acceptance, but that'll change over time. The yeah, connected vehicle, that's a whole nother breed of cat. That's where you got to have all these devices in the vehicles in the roads everywhere else and i don't know whether matt and i or you are going to see that in our lifetime but who knows it might happen so yeah no i agree they're they're different i just happen to think of electric cars and autonomous driving simultaneously because i've got a tesla and i've got pretty good autonomous driving capabilities ah okay gotcha so you guys recruit all over the country. Is there, Probably Michigan may not be a hot one because the automotive industry is down, but are there states that are particularly hot hiring, that sort of thing right now, or not? Yeah, there's. I, I don't know all of them, but I know that the New York City area, because of the banking and, and insurance and, and some of the consulting industries headquartered there is pretty good. I think New England's doing okay. Uh, we've seen the San Francisco area, especially um, – with the technology companies seeing tremendous amount of growth, it's still tough to get people out there. You know, if you look at, if you look at the, you know, it's, we all know which ones are down, you know, you don't want to be in the cruise industry or the airline industry, or you don't oh. want to be running hotels, oh. right? Those, those are really down. But if you, you look at uh, the ones that are going up online retail, I don't know how much of that we've got in Michigan. 
Um, you've got uh, telemedicine, maybe a little bit of that because people can do that kind of thing, but the people providing the technology are in California probably. Life science and farming. We used to have Pfizer in Ann Arbor. I don't think we've got much in, in, and we used to have a lot up in Grand Rapids. I don't know how much of that we have less, left in the state. Well, they're more they're more healthcare centers now rather than biotech centers. Although there's still a lot of biotech in the state. If you look at the reports on what investors are investing in, typically more than half of it is biotech or biopharma or whatever you want to call it related. So, and and those are in what parts of the state? Well, that'd be Kalamazoo, Grand Rapids, uh, okay. Ann Arbor, Detroit, a uh, little bit in Lansing. Um, Kalamazoo still has a ex Pfizer presence over there. Uh, I'm trying to remember who bought. Uh, Pfizer might even still be in Kalamazoo. Oh well, well, Pfizer is still manufacturing in Kalamazoo. In fact, yeah. that's that is Pfizer's largest single manufacturing plant in the world. Is the one in Portage there, just Pardon south of Kalamazoo. Okay. But they're not doing the kind of R and D there that they used to do. That's that's yeah. what's changed. Yeah, I think that all got moved to Jersey or something. Didn't yeah, it? the only kind of Pfizer R and D I'm aware of in Kalamazoo is in their veterinary side. Um, they've got like an experimental farm outside of town. So yeah. they're growing super cows or something. I don't know. But <laughs> All right. <laughs> not, so not really Pfizer. Let me, let me interrupt one other thing, Mike. I'm sorry, yeah. Mike and Matt. Uh, one other thing. There's also IT trends overall where the, their people are continuing to move a lot to the crowd, with the cloud, which reduces the demand for infrastructure and operations people in non-cloud companies. But some people can move over to those like Secure24 has got a pretty good presence in Michigan. And then you've got a lot of people doing outsourcing uh, to sort of, sort of, if you're a steady state industry and steady state system. So you've got these trends that are moving IT in one direction, and then you've got trends like digitization, car electrification, and, and connected vehicle, and, and online delivery, and intelligence in products like Whirlpool is doing over in Kalamazoo and other places that are driving in the other direction. So it's a pretty complicated mosaic of where the jobs are. So since this is an IT-centric uh, listenership, viewership, if someone's looking for a new IT position now, what are the steps that you think they could or should be taking? Well, thanks. The, you know, the number one thing is you've got increased competition, so you've got to stand out from the competition. And the first thing, there's three ways to get a job. You can do it by networking with friends and asking for help and then ask them for other people you can talk to. You can talk to recruiters, all right, or you can apply online. One of the things we've been recommending to people when they apply to any job is that their resume needs, no matter how you do it, whether it's through a friend that you're talking to or whether it's through recruiters or whether it's to um, online positions, your resume has got to look a lot like you're an exact fit to the job. So if you're in automotive and somebody's looking for a director of, of application development in a healthcare or an insurance industry, you probably don't you're, you're probably not going to be able to create a resume that makes you look like a fit, but you can try. People so, in the online world and other worlds will get so many different resumes from so many different people. And there's so many people looking for new jobs that companies don't need really to look outside their industry. Uh, so what other uh, uh, advice would you give? I mean, con considering that jobs are way down, People are a lot more people are looking for jobs. You were just saying to tailor your resume specifically for that job. Anything else? Well, I, the, the first thing we recommend there's if you go to our website, there is a document called 12 Steps for a Highly Successful Job Search that, that I've mentioned in other uh, of these uh, 
meetings. I, we keep it up to date. The last one was done in um, February of this year. Uh, it talks about what you need to do to do a job search. And the number one thing, if you do get the interview, all right, so first off, you got to network your way into a job. you got to be a fit to the job. Your resume has got to look like it. But if you get there, if you get a chance to interview, how do you stand out from other people? And what we're suggesting is that you spend some time before you go anywhere and create a series of success stories for yourself about things you've done. For example, um, somebody will say to you in, a, in an interview, have you ever done anything like this? And your answer should be, yes, I have. And then launch into a very short, very focused success story. The format we recommend is PAR. Uh, what, what was the problem you were working on? What actions did you take? And what measurable results did you achieve? Now, other people call that a star. It's also called a car. It's also called a SAR. It's all the same kind of thing. Create these success stories, maybe five to 10 a year for the last five to 10 years. So you're well armed. So when you walk into an interview, you can give people a good, concise, focused answer. So be like the old Boy Scout motto, be prepared, right? That's right. Yeah, you got you to know the industry. You got to know the people you're talking to. You got to know yourself. And if you don't know yourself, you're going to stumble in an interview and walk out of there later saying, gee, I wish I'd answered this question differently. So be prepared. Well, just getting to the interview is challenging enough, right? How many of all, I mean, you were telling us last time you get a thousand applications for every job. So when, if you're calling those down, uh, how, is there something, uh, you, you pointed out a few things, but I mean, it, I suppose it varies by the company, but is there something else that folks can do uh, uh, to, to just get to the interview? Well, you've you got to, so most people select people based on the resume. The, you know, people send in cover letters and a generic resume that typically doesn't work as well because the resume, people don't read the cover letter, they read the resume. Even if they read the cover letter when they f- send the resume onward, they don't send the cover letter. The other thing we're recommending is that right at the very at the very top, right is a, there's a professional summary at the top of the resume, and then right after that, on the top half, half of the page, put down qualification. I can't even pronounce the qualifications for the position of whatever it is you're applying for, and put four or five dot points down that speak specifically to the requirements that probably they have posted on their website. Ah. And, and that's a way that resume then tells people you thought about the position and it, and you can call you can point out why you are a good fit for that position. How many of those, let's say, thousand resumes actually get to the interview stage? Are we talking five or ten, maybe? Um, if you're if you go, I don't know how many. I, I know we're working with a couple of companies who also post online, and they say they get. 300 to 500, you know, they're going to, they're going to look at maybe 20 or 30 resumes and pass them by the hiring manager. And they'll probably pick out 10 people or so. That's just, you know, rough averages. And we do the same thing. You know, we'll call down from the, we had one search where we actually got 1500 resumes for a chief information security officer position. And we called that down and eventually presented, um, I think 15 people for that position. The requirements changed a little bit along the way, too. Sure. All right. We got about a minute left. So now it's shameless plug time, Gary. So, what, if folks, you got them all excited. They want to get to your website. Tell them how to do that. Well, it's exec, E-X-E-C, searchpartners.com. And there's a section called resources. 
If you go there, you're going to see a sample resume, which includes the in-resume cover letter that I just mentioned, and our document called 12 Steps for a Highly Successful Job Search. Both of those are, if I don't say so myself, really, really good documents. Okay, but you did say so yourself, and that's okay, because this is part of the shameless plug. So. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, my, is my M showing? I, I uh, it is. Yes, very good. And okay, we, good. They just announced today that no M football this fall. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I don't think the NFL is going to play either. No, I mean, the, the, the what I've seen, I, and I've been reading a lot about this stuff, is even in practice, people are getting sick because they're touching each other, they're breathing. I mean, how do you not practice football and not breathe on somebody, right? And, and you don't know if people are sick. You know, you, they're not, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot easier for sports with smaller teams that you can keep them in a bubble, like a basketball team. You're talking twelve or fifteen guys, right? The NFL team, what do they start? They they start training camp with seventy some. You know, yeah. that's that's a lot bigger. Or a hundred, I think. Well, yeah, and they call them down real fast. I think the final forty or forty-five that make the team or something like that. Yeah, and then a practice squad, right? Yeah, right, so, so it's still a lot more people than twelve basketball players, though. Yeah. All right. Well, Gary Erickson, thanks for joining us today from Florida. Uh, and uh, we'll get you on the show again here uh, in the fall and kind of update the story and see where we're at with all this stuff. Nobody knows. But we got a man standing by in that other window there, Fred Brown. He knows. And we'll be going to him right after this commercial break. Lawrence Technological University graduates earn a degree and a higher starting salary. In fact, when it comes to earning potential, the Brookings Institution ranks LTU fifth among U.S. colleges and universities. Be enriched. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. As a Lawrence Technological University graduate, you're not only marketable, you're worth more. Yes, more. According to Payscale.com, when it comes to graduate salaries, LTU is in America's top 100. Be invaluable. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. Uh, but it wasn't. Hey, it's Matt Rausch and Mike Brennan, and we're back with another segment of the M Squared Techcast. Once again, joining us after a couple of weeks off, he's uh, he's back from an illness that apparently was not COVID. It was just a plain old cold or something. Uh, is Fred Brown? Great to be back. Thanks. Yeah, I thought I, I thought I might have come down with it because I had lunch with a guy who um, you know works in a P3 lab, and uh, he was working with live virus and. You know, we were talking away, and all of a sudden, I realized maybe he's asymptomatic, and I came down with some symptoms, but everything's fine now. So I'm, and it, it, it was not COVID, and it only took two and a half days to get the results back. So great job by you, Ben Spark. Okay. Yeah, I uh, was up. I took a week off uh, the last week in July. I went to West Michigan and got around a lot of friends. We even did a beach party, but not too close. And then, so when I got back, I did the COVID test at one of the drugstores, and it took almost a week to get the test back. So I'm thinking, God, this isn't doing me any good, right? So I guess that's one of the big issues right now is there are tests available, but if it takes a week or 10 days to get them back, they really aren't worth much, are they? No, they're not, uh, actually, sadly. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the re- main recommendations that we made as a, uh, as a steering committee was to st- have the government stop paying for tests that, are, that, that take more than two, two days to turn around. 
because by what happens is you are exposed. It takes about 5.5 days to get symptoms. So if you have a, but it, but you can get tested after day four if you think you've been exposed and still have a pretty good result. Um, at that point, if it takes five days to turn that around, you're only shedding virus from day two to day 12. Now, uh, shedding live virus. What we found is that although people shed virus for up to 28 days, generally the live viruses are shed in the first 10 days uh, uh, after after um, this, uh, this virus gets established is about day two. So between day two, day, day two and day 12 is when you can actually, you know, effectively go into isolation and call people and say you've been, you know, possibly uh, infected. Once it gets beyond that, it's useless. And so our steering committee uh, back to CMS, which is a uh, reimburses for Medicare and Medicaid, recommended that we don't pay for tests that take more than two days to turn around. Right now, these lo- these large testing companies are raking in lots of money uh, for tests that are completely un- unusable for the general public. So that's a big problem. Yeah, because it would be two weeks tomorrow since I was at my event, and I didn't get my results back till Saturday night late. You know, so I, I, I figured people were asking me, how'd you get your, how'd your test results come out? And I go, well, I haven't got them. But I, I said, by now, I probably should have symptoms, uh, you know, because it would already been about 10 days at that point. And so I didn't. And oh, yeah, yeah. Not to worry, I guess. Well, I, uh, I, I went and donated platelets at the Red Cross Blood Donor Center in uh, Livonia a week ago Saturday. Excellent. And I'm supposed to get, uh, and with that, they said it was, uh, they, they give you a free antibody test when you donate. And uh, uh, they said seven to ten business days. I'm like, well, okay, so it's not a test for live virus. It's a test for antibodies. So well, it's yeah, not yeah. quite as time critical there. You know, it's important to find out whether you've been exposed and whether you were asymptomatic. Um, You know, there are numerous examples, sadly, now of people who were asymptomatic, were exposed, had no, you know, conditions of COVID, no fever, and have come down with very serious conditions, you know, two to three to four weeks later. Mm. Uh, things like Gillian Barr syndrome, which can cause Barr syndrome, which can cause paralysis. Uh, A friend of mine actually came down with that uh, three uh, after getting negative tests for COVID live virus, but about being positive for uh, the antigen. And uh, there are numerous examples of people with cardiac, uh, arising with cardiac problems. Uh, And so it's very important that you get the antigen test to see if you've been exposed at all. Because even if you're asymptomatic, that does not change the fact that lots of things can happen downstream. And the the, uh, severity of those downstream impact has nothing to do with your original COVID. So even if you are absolutely not sick, uh, you can have very bad sy- symptoms. If you're very, very sick, you may have no symptoms uh, of, of other mm-hmm. conditions downstream. So it's it's uh, completely independent of each other apparently right now. The hot topic now, uh, well, obviously, I, I think you're on the call when uh, the Big Ten canceled the football season, which I was I would have been surprised if they would have tried it, tell you the truth. And they were originally thinking, well, we'll just play the empty stadiums. But, yeah, you I mean, these guys are <laughs> – clearly breathing on each other and they're not, they can't be six feet apart. I mean, this doesn't work out in football. Right. So uh, I was, uh, I was sort of surprised, but not really because they're now talking about maybe hopefully next spring, just move it to spring football, which, you know, be nice because typically as the season wears on, you're freezing your butt off in the stadium. But the the other issue going on is uh, schools are around the country now are going back 
I talked to a buddy of mine who's a teacher down in Florida, and they're starting on Thursday, but they're just doing all remote. They're not doing any in-person stuff. And this in Michigan, it's been a real mixed bag. Some are, some aren't, some are going hybrid models. Uh, what are you seeing? Or what, what's your advice, I should say? Yeah, so about half the schools are are, are trying uh, to open, and about uh, uh, half of them are trying to do either a hybrid or remote only. About thirty five percent are remote only, and fifteen percent are hybrid. So that's sort of the general disposition right now. That could change rapidly. Um, I think uh, what we're going to find is that we're going to have a lot of trouble opening successfully. And when you look at the, cha- you know, the challenges that we're having in Georgia, Florida, mm-hmm. and other areas that are opening earlier than we are, uh, we're going to look back at that and say, you know, uh, we just don't want to take the risk anymore. I think uh, if you have to open a school, we're kind of doing it backwards. You know, the first area that we're worried about is like University of Michigan football. Actually, those are the schools that can probably most afford and best teach people remotely if you think about it. Whereas it's the young kids who are trying to learn math for the first time and reading for the first time, those, those, and they don't, and they don't uh, uh, transmit as much virus because they don't breathe as heavily uh, and they don't have quite the same load, although pretty close sadly until the age of 10 um, uh, of, of the virus. So if I were a policymaker, I would look very closely at probably trying to do high school where you have lots of switching of classes and mixing of different people uh, in big hallways. And, you know, we saw that big picture of Georgia, I guess, where they had yeah. lots of mixing of people that, that didn't look good uh, without any masks. I would definitely require masks at all times. And I would try to move towards surgical or N95 masks, not just cloth masks that your mom makes in your basement. Um, uh, and I would also have, you know, what, what, once, once we get testing better, uh, at that point, we'll be able to do this a lot more safely. But right now, very few states are in a position to test. In fact, really no te- no state today is, a, is is able to test sufficiently to mitigate a virus uh, and, and really understand what the spread looks like, unfortunately. Matt, what's the status with Lawrence Tech? Are you guys going to go all virtual or hybrid? What? Uh, it's it's pretty much a hybrid at this point, although we, we have said that we're going to be flexible depending on what happens. You know, I mean, you have to be. Um, but all of our graduate courses are going to be online this fall, except for a few engineering labs and architecture students. Um, and the undergraduates, we are planning on having them come back, but our class sizes are pretty small. We have an 11 to 1 student to faculty ratio. And, and after freshman year, especially, most of our classes only have 10 or 15 people. And so it's pretty easy to be in a lecture hall with six foot social distancing. On a basis like that, and, and a mask requirement. Um, it, it's we are planning on reopening the dorms uh, and the cafeteria. Um, it, unfortunately, for the environment, that means going to all disposable everything, you know, basically, you know, in the cafeteria. So um, you know, and, and a lot of box lunches, I would bet. But um, you know, right now we are planning on bringing the undergraduates back for in-person classes, although. If there's an outbreak, if the numbers start spiking again, we'll, we'll have to go back to what we did in March. No, I mean that's just that's you got to be responsible uh, and safety first. So yeah, as tricky as it would be to have students in a classroom, having them in a dormitory, I mean that's a whole nother thing. There, I mean, yeah. you're sharing everything in a dorm, right? You know, right. and you, yeah, and you there's, I mean, there's going to be they're they're laying in massive supplies of sanitizing stuff, you know, and and you know at this at this point. Um, you know, we're just encouraged, we're just hoping people are responsible. 
um, and and don't have big house parties and you know, things like that. The off the off campus housing is even more more concerning actually because they have even less control in some ways. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Parties and pong and boing shopping. Yeah, and we've got and we've got you know only about a third of our student body lives on campus. The other two thirds is off campus. So that's yeah. Same with you. You, you really can't yeah. control what they do off campus, but you just have to hope they're responsible and follow the CDC guidelines. Yeah, I remember when I was an undergraduate, uh, mingling, <laughs> as it were. I mean, that was just what you did, right? I mean, oh, we get along. Yeah, you bet. Yes, uh, no mingling this year. Um, so, so what are you saying? It, it, um, I mean, the, the superintendent of schools or something would ask you a question. Should we do what? What would you say to him? Um, let me, let me, let me, sh- let me show you a little bit uh, of what we're doing right now in Michigan. How does that sound? And it, cause Sounds it depends great. on the state actually. If I was in, if I was in Florida, I'd probably say no to every County <laughs> right now because they're uncontrolled. I mean, the, the, it's, it's sadly, even though they're going down slightly, they're out of, out of control. So we'll, we'll show that I, I have, I put together a little presentation just to sort of sh- 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 give you the data and then we can talk about it. How does that sound? Sounds great. Okay. So, 8, 10, 20, here we are. The world, what does the world look like? Well, you can see that um, as far as the world goes, that, that, that graph in, on the right-hand side really tells the story, right? I mean, we are just going, we, we, we went up fast March to April. We had a little plateau. We went up fast from uh, June to August. Now we're at a little plateau for worldwide cases. And the question is, what's going to happen next, right? What do the models show? And guess what the models show? Not good, right? Yeah, we're going to plateau for a, for a month or two, and then no, uh, October, November, December is going to be a disaster. Well, yeah. geez. So that that's really I'm really worried about November. And if you talk to most modelers right now, they're worried about November. Kind of Thanksgiving and Christmas period, I think, could be a really really bad period for the United States generally, unless we get our uh, unless we get our numbers down. And as you know, uh, Matt, you sent me this note indicating that 159 epidemiologists signed a note uh, saying that we should probably should, you know, kind of quote unquote reset. That really means um, that we would go into lockdown so that okay. we prepare for a, a bad, a bad October, November. Unfortunately, we're, we're less than a hundred days away from uh, a general election where one of the candidates really is counting on the economy to be okay. Uh, President Trump is. Uh, and uh, so it's, we won't, we won't do that. But if I was t- if we didn't have an election and I was sort of an advisor, which I am to several governments, I, in many cases, I'd, re- I'd recommend a lockdown um, and we'll see why. So at any rate, here's what the look, what it looks like. You can see United States and Brazil basically are a third of the world's problem. <laughs> so that's not a good thing. To be. Uh, and this is where we're having the big, the, the big blowups. Uh, uh, generally the areas of, of yellow. So if you live in Canada right now, you are 25 times less likely to die of COVID than if you are in the United States. Hmm. If you live in Europe, you are 10 times less likely to die of COVID than if you live in the United States. And that's a problem. Uh, that's a big problem because that means we can't go anywhere. Lots of people come to us, you know, and be, and they'll actually dilute our problem. <laughs> but if we go out uh, as a U.S. citizen, most countries are saying, no, we don't want you. I think we have, we can go fly to about nine countries, including, you know, Places like you know Kazakhstan and places like that. I mean, it's not 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 places you normally would go. So 
that's that's the unless you're Borat. Yeah, right. Okay. So if, if we bear in a little bit on the United States, right? See, visit Borat. So if you bear in a little bit of the United States, here's what it looks like. And you know, and you can see Michigan actually is caution warranted. And this is where we were back in June. Then we went into dark red for a while. Then we come back out of it. Now we're yellow again. You see the upper eastern seaboard is green. Those states have largely agreed to create a testing environment that allows them to see and, and manage aggregate testing, which is smart. We should probably think about joining a group, a group like that as, as a state. But caution warranted means, uh, well, it means basically what's happened is we've leveled off, but we've leveled off at a very high level. You know, you'd like to be down, um, you'd like to be down where we were uh, around June 15th, which is our absolute minimum you can see in, uh, on, on June 10th, two months ago, we were at 187 cases a day, uh, new cases a day, running average. We went down to a, a number of 182. You really want to be at a little bit less than that. We've got 10 million. So that, that means about two cases per 100,000. Epidemiologists are kind of they're, they're arguing between whether it should be four cases per 100,000 for several weeks or one case per 100,000 for several weeks. But generally, it's in that range. And you can see that instead of you know, leveling off at that level, for several weeks, which we would have had to do to represent what Europe has done and other successful countries have done, we went back up again. And now we're at 711 cases per day. So we've, you know, we've increased it by sevenfold. And, and our plateau is a dangerous plateau. It means that you could go up relatively easily because you've got a lot of potential community spread and a lot of endemic uh, virus in the area. What's happened is the death rates have gone down a little bit, which is great. Uh, we've gone from 8.2% or so in the June period uh, to 6.8%, uh, which is which is good. But we're still in the lowest we're we're still in the lowest quartile of performance overall uh, for fat- case fatality rates. So Michigan, if you're in this state and you go to the hospital uh, after being you know a, a case, you've got a much higher chance of dying in that hospital than in other states. Sadly, uh, we're you can see that the death rates generally. Is that, is that because we have an older population, do you think, or, or what are the reasons behind that? That's a great question. Uh, one, big, I'll get, one, one big reason I'll get to in a second is that we're not as good as man- at managing our minority populations <laughs> as other states, and that's a big problem. I'll show you the data in a second. Uh, but, um, and, and uh, you know, we, uh, we may not be <clears throat> testing quite as much uh, as some of the other states are either. If, if you think about case fatality rate, maybe the other states have you know, more, more uh, negative results. And so our case fatality rate is a little more concentrated. Uh, I don't, it's not because we're being overwhelmed. Our, currently, our current capacity is okay. We're kind of in a yellow stage of capacity, but we're certainly not like Florida or Arizona where they really are at a red stage of capacity. So that's not, not the issue so much as, uh, as I think the way we're managing our minorities uh, mostly. Um, the newly reported days, that's, you can see, are, are about 17 to 21 days offset from the new case rate. So what's happening here at the end right now, we're starting to, to hop up a little bit. And that's because you can see that we're starting to get to about 20 days, about 30 days after we started to be at our, uh, at our base. And we might move up just a little bit over the course of August. So August, September, the, 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 the most... Uh, Forecasts are for a little bit of an ups, up, 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 hit, an up, upswing in, in death rate uh, for, the, for the next uh, kind of two, three weeks. But then leveling off. Um, so we're, yeah, it's a stable high death rate. Um, so you, 
uh, and this is this is the issue about the minority cases. You can see that 14% of our population are for uh, for uh, the, the black population represents 30% of our cases and 41% of our deaths. Wow. That 41% is way off. And 30%, it puts us in the bottom kind of 10 states in the country for management. Wow. Uh, Virginia, North Carolina, Indiana, Wisconsin, Minnesota are, are behind us. Iowa is behind us. but uh, And there are a couple of northeastern states with very small minority populations that are also a little bit higher, but everywhere else is lower than us uh, significantly. Yeah, so I, 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 um, that's, is that lack of access to health care, poverty, right? Yeah, yeah. Most, mostly mostly lack of access. I think uh, Underlying conditions, I mean, because uh, for those difference. two reasons, they haven't been going to the doctor, right? You know, so. It, 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 it's sort of like compound interest rate. You know, as, as you put in a little bit of money, you get a, a, a beneficial effect. Well, the same thing is in reverse in healthcare. If you don't go to the doctor, you know, even starting at birth, the minority populations are underway to birth. So you start at that deficit and that this continues to compound over time with access lack and, and uh, lack of insurance, unfortunately, and, um, and, uh, and lack of uh, a position. There's some places in Detroit that have, you know, one position for 4,000 residents. And that's, that's, that's a challenge uh, to, to keep people healthy. I noticed, I noticed also you skipped over a chart about where not to reopen schools. Well, I'll get back to that. I promise. Okay. I'll go back to that. Cause that's okay. what right. you see Hispanic right. and Latino again, percent of the cases are way high. Then the deaths aren't so bad, so they have better. They apparently have, have, have probably a better access and a better better outcome than uh, than our black population. But that that black population, we've got to do something about that because that's just uh, unacceptable. Um, uh, so we'll, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who are thinking about this. One of the issues is a lot of these populations, the Hispanic and the uh, and the black populations, are our our most important workers, and there there are there are first line, front line workers who are essential. Uh, and um, we're not treating them right. You know, that's a problem. If you look at this data anyway. So uh, opening schools. Uh, anywhere that's orange, I wouldn't reopen. <laughs> schools in that area generally, if you, especially in the larger schools. And if you're talking about small rural schools of less than 100 uh, students in the, in, in the school, that's one thing. But if you're talking about, you know, you can see, you, you know, in the orange areas, you've got more than 100 students. You're going to have one of those students with COVID who will trans who will transmit it to their friends and to the families and the and sadly to the to the teachers and staff who are at higher and higher risk. Uh, and you'll have to shut down for 14 days anyway. So what will happen is you know have a, a little a couple of people coming up with uh, with COVID and you have to shut down. So my recommendation is to get ready, do an awful lot of work remotely, and to try to work in. Uh, try to work in cohorts. Try to work in 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 in, in you know having Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Thursday, uh, Thursday, Tuesday kind of uh, school days, uh, mornings, afternoons. Try to try to open up uh, the amount of distancing you're able to create. Make everyone wear a mask and and hopefully a, a surgical or N95 mask, not just a not just a, a you know a, a a a mask you make in your basement. Um, and uh, bring lots of hand sanitizers along and try to keep ventilation up. Uh, right now, one of the things that's concerning is that uh, there was a big study in Korea that looked at aerosolization, and they found that if you are simply recirculating a lot of the air through even more modern uh, 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 HVAC systems, uh, that the COVID virus actually builds up on intake, outtake, 
uh, and, and HEPA filters. So if you're not changing HEPA filters out a lot and you're recirculating a lot of the air over and over again, as we do, especially in the winter, to try to save in heating costs, boy, we're going to have lots of problems with aerosolization. And boy, some, some of the counties that are the deepest shade of red there are really surprising to me. I know the one at the bottom of the state, that's Branch County. That's a very rural county. Coldwater's the biggest city in it. It's maybe eight or 9,000 people. And then the one up on Lake Michigan, I think that's Oceana County. That's Oceana. also that's also very rural. And I think the biggest city is Pentwater. That's only a few thousand people. How how do these how did these rural areas get so unlucky? You know, because you don't have the population density. I don't know. I, I, along the along the coast, I think that was uh, because of extra traffic uh, on the beaches and so on. Oceana was certainly a popular okay. to go I don't know uh, down 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 south. Uh, we see Jackson County also, and then Detroit lit up. But basically, that 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 area from you know Detroit up to Bay City is a hotspot area, and we've got Kalamazoo, Benton Harbor, and we've got um, uh, uh, Grand Rapids also being pretty Kent County being uh, hot right now. And, and Escanaba, that area, I don't know what happened up there. The part of Wisconsin generally is pretty orange, and so it may be a, a continuation of Wisconsin uh, problems. But that's uh, so yeah. In these areas, what you see is you've got a lot of community spread. Uh, and the challenge when you start to then add 15% of the population, which is the population that's going to kindergarten to 12th grade, uh, to the mix uh, with lots of interaction, um, you know, if you're very successful, the Europeans are able to keep uh, the increase in spread down to 2 to 4%. But those areas that are out of control, it can be as high as 25% increases in in spread uh, in, in those areas, which uh, would be extremely you know, dangerous. That would, that, would, that would give us a hard, a hard time in Michigan. we got about five minutes left. Oh, my goodness. So anyway, uh, basically, you can see we're, we're yellow, which means we're on the edge. One thing we don't, don't have enough of is testing. We don't, uh, aren't testing enough to keep us mitigated. We, if, if, if we have breakouts, we can't identify those breakouts, and we can't control the breakouts, and we don't have enough capacity to get test results back fast enough. And so what's happened is um, we have a program called RADx, and maybe we, uh, and, and the NIH has, has started this RADx program and it's, it's, it's rapid access to diagnostics. It's $250 million. Well, they have seven programs they've, they, 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 they've moved forward. And I'll tell you, $250 million probably is enough for two, maybe three of them to move forward based on my experience in, in ramping up tests. And you can see, most of these tests are, you know, so the, the first one, Mesa Biotech, a handheld PCR technology. Well, that's a blood test. I mean, people can't give themselves blood tests. Kaidel uh, is, is, a, is a point of care doctor, officer, pharmacy. Again, you've got turnaround time issues and lining, lining up issues. We, they have to move to out of the paradigm of what's out there already and start to think about brand new ways of testing uh, in the NIH and the government. And that means home care. That means home-based testing done with saliva, done every day, uh, done by everybody. That's what they have to get to. And there are some companies out there. Yale just announced a test. They think they can get down to about a dollar a day, um, which is based on saliva. Uh, Stanford has one also, a company called Prediction PredictionRx, uh, has, has, is developing that test. Again, they're all solid state. They, they require no reagents. Uh, they go right to your cell phone. They, they read off the... the uh, the, the result on your cell phone, and then they can transmit it wherever you need it to go in order to give you a passport and say, yes, this person tested negative. 
um, or this person tested positive and here are all the different contacts they had and please contact them. Callus, again, multiplex uh, uh, piece, isothermal, a viral RNA, optical detection system under 30 minutes. But again, this isn't, this is going to be nasal swabs. It's going to be complicated for an individual user to do by themselves. Mm. Then everything else they're doing is lab based. And this lab based is the exact problem Michael was talking about earlier, which was, you know, it took me five, 10, 12 days to get this thing turned around. And so these lab tests that you have to send out, you know, in, in, through the, through the mail or through a, a, a distribution company, get the thing tested, you know, and then come back again. Um, that just isn't gonna, isn't gonna solve our problem. So unfortunately, you know, we keep making these, these small, you know, that would have made sense five months ago, but now we're in a different situation. We've got to really switch and, and, and create different policies. And we're going to look back at this time going, ah, we just made a couple of, of mistakes and these mistakes just compound on, on each other uh, as they go forward. What we need is somebody to come up with the similar to the home pregnancy test where I, we all know how that works, but I mean, you get instant results, right? Wouldn't That's that exactly be a, it. I mean, I can't. Why would somebody not see the value in that and not be working in that, or are they working on that? They are. It's called. They're called laminar flow tests. And, though, and GSK has uh, has a joint venture with Mammoth, who's down here doing PCR work. Uh, and they those are tests that would be so. Uh, they're using a brand new technology called CRISPR, and that's a, that's an exciting technology. But that's not being sponsored by and pushed by the NIH. It's being pushed by GSK in order to get a pregnancy-like test. There's another group uh, called Sherlock that has the same. Kind of technology and also working on that laminar flow test. These laminar flow tests are about 75% accurate, so they're not perfect, but you can do them every day. And if we can get them down to you know, $5 a test, then you're talking about maybe your employer would want to have you take that test every other day, every day, uh, in order to make sure you're, you're, you're safe. And certainly before you take a flight, those kinds of uh, times, you'd like to have a test like that uh, immediately available. Even if it isn't perfect, uh, at, at least you can get a sense, a better sense of whether you've got the disease than just by taking a temperature. Two minutes. So we have to wrap this in two minutes, friend. So oh, my gosh. Well, what else quickly. do you guys want? So there, vaccine. Can we talk a little bit about the vaccine progress? Vaccine. So right now, right now, we are, we've got two vaccines in phase three clinical tests. Uh, uh, one, one group has about 45, that's the Moderna group, has about 4,500 people have already been enrolled. They've already taken their first shot. Uh, and Pfizer is the second one. They've got about uh, slightly over 2,000 enrolled in their A3. They got to get to 30,000, right? They got to get, <laughs> they got a ways to go, but they, uh, but we think that by October, they'll have that 30,000. Then they have to wait and, and get a second shot. And then you got to go out in the environment and see whether or not the placebo guys, the guys who just got the water, uh, get the same amount of tests or, or hopefully more of, of COVID than the other. And what happens is you got 30,000 guys all going out there, and uh, maybe 20 of them come back on the placebo side, but only 10 of them come back on the uh, uh, with, with COVID on the active side. That means you've got a 50% benefit, and that means the FDA will give us uh, the, the approval for that. But it's going to take till after, certainly after the election, certainly after, I guess, some kind of March time frame. Okay, we're going to have to leave it at that. Uh, we'll get you back on the show next week, and we can do a follow-up on some of this stuff. One of the things I want to have you talk about is the – I saw a study on masks. There was 14 different types of masks you can get. Which yeah. one's the most effective? We can cover that next week. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that one myself. Yes, we'll do that. I'm looking forward to it because that's a, that's a big piece. There, a mask is not a mask is not a mask. There, there are different capabilities that these masks have, and it's important that we start to get – 
move up the, the scale to get toward that 90 but Fine for everybody. Right now, we're, we're supply constrained, the problem. And right, want- folks, we'll come back here at 2 p.m. Eastern time next Monday, and we'll talk about mask effectiveness. We'll do it. We'll to it. And if you want to check out Fred, he's at fredbron.com, by the way. So. Happy to answer right. your questions. All right. We've had a lot of fun today. Uh, first week back here after a little break, but uh, we're, we're cruising into August, and we'll keep you informed. This is Mike Brennan. And Matt Roush. And you've been watching MI Tech TV. Thanks for listening to M Squared TechCast. A live-